For those of you who didn't know all of that story, Marcelo and uh, Cesar were t- two men who came to a children's event, masked and armed, when Jose and the pastor began to tell them about God's forgiveness. They laid their weapons down, and at that point, both of them prayed that God would forgive them. And Jose told us later that one of I can't remember which one it was, said that when you told us that God would forgive me, I couldn't believe it. He said, because that morning I'd kill four or five men, yeah, including one of those was a pastor. You know, for them to hear of God's forgiveness was just something they couldn't even believe. Both men are doing pretty well, aren't they? But it's exciting news for Marcello that he was being ordained as a deacon and expecting to be a pastor. That's changed lives right there. That's a, a brand new story. Yeah, it was in April at a children's event when that first happened. So, yeah, three years. That's what God does. He just changes lives. If you want to go ahead and turn in this passage, we're going to be looking at a passage in Hebrews chapter 4. But I have just a few things I'd like to say before I get there. One of the things that I know that you face and I know that I face as well is learning to be in a place before the Lord where the awareness of God can actually grow, where the awareness and the reality of God can expand within my heart. This phrase, and I've heard it over and over many different times, but this phrase, busyness always wars against our awareness of God. Think about that for just a second. Busyness always is at war, establishes a war against our awareness of God. Striving and sheer effort will not for a moment increase or expand what we know and the intimacy and the awareness with God. It's kind of strange because the typical church teaching is that the busier I am for God, the more I have going on, the more I'm involved with, then surely my understanding of God must be expanding, and there is absolutely nothing more contrary to the truth than that statement. Busyness, whether it be church-related, occupationally related, family-related, busyness will never allow you to expand your awareness of God. And we wonder, then, why within churches, why within individual lives, it seems like the only relationship that people have with God is a very shallow one. We see this in our marriage. The busyness of my life, the busyness of ministry, if I'm not careful, will affect the relationship with my wife. It happens in businesses. It happens everywhere. How do we increase them? How do we increase our awareness of God? And this is one of those things that is absolutely contrary to what our heart would say, our mind would say, but God establishes very well. We increase our awareness of God by learning to rest. By learning to be quiet on the inside. By learning to allow our heart to find a place where we're actually at rest. Now I'm not talking about the fact that we can't still be busy. But I'm talking about the ability at any point and at any time to be able to find within ourselves a place of quietness in us. Because it's only in those places that our awareness of God can actually grow. So the Bible talks about this really at length, about cultivating and contending for that place of rest. Because if you don't find it, if you don't understand how to get it, there are so many things of your life that will be significantly damaged 
or destroy. Now, that's a big statement. We would maybe typically believe that our faith, our trust, our confidence in Jesus, our confidence in God through the work of the Holy Spirit would actually grow because of activity or because of the things that we observe or that we see. That seems logical and it seems like that's the way it ought to be. And God has established that's not the case at all. Faith cannot grow unless it originates in the quiet place of our heart. Why? That doesn't make sense. Faith seems like it's something that the more you do and the more you see God work, the more your faith ought to grow. The reality is that that cannot happen until it's born in this quiet place of rest. And God says it over and over. Come unto me, you are who? Weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is critical in this story. Faith only grows in rest. Prayer is born in rest. Peace comes in times of rest. If you don't know how to rest, and I'm not talking about stopping all that you're doing. I'm struggling here to actually find the words to can actually tell this story. It's like going into a house. Everything is busy. Every room is full. There's people visiting everywhere. And you being able to find a physical place within that house where it's quiet. Now that we can get to. That's something our mind can attach to. And God is saying, I want you at any time, no matter what the busyness is, I want you to be able to mentally, emotionally, and spiritually go into that quiet place. If you were in that house and everybody was talking, and somebody across the room was trying to tell you something, what would absolutely be the difficulty? Could not hear. If you can't hear what they're saying, how well are you going to be able to obey? You can't. How does faith grow if there is no obedience? It can't. What's the necessity of the quietness? What's the necessity of the rest? Because until you were able, as believers, to enter into that place of rest, that place of quietness, we will not hear the voice of God. You know, I talked two weeks ago about how do you hear God? How do you know your name? How does God speak? And I went to that passage of Elijah. It was thunder and it was lightning and God was in none of it. And the earthquake, he was in, how does it describe him? It was what? A still, small voice. How do you hear a still, small voice if you don't know how to enter into that place where it's just you and him so that you can hear? Rest, the critical component of our life that we have not as believers yet learned well. We have not learned how to enter into that quiet place. We know what the substitute has been. It's been activity. It's been busyness. All in the name of God. Here's what the outcome is. If we don't understand, if we don't accept, if we don't believe, trust, put our faith in the reality of God's rest, your Christian life will be filled with drama that will make you live like you're on a roller coaster. Extreme highs and extreme lows. How do you get rid of lows in your life? And we're going to have them. How do you get rid of them? You go into the quiet place of rest. How do you understand the high places of blessing so that you don't misunderstand what that blessing means? You go into the quiet place of rest. If you don't have that quiet place of rest, what's your life going to look like? And I, I talk to people like this all the time within the church not in the world, inside the church that are living an emotional and mental roller coaster from extreme highs to extreme lows and they're constantly defined by whichever position they're in at the moment. And God says, that's not what I intended. 
I intend that at any moment, at all times, you be able to go into that place of rest and let me talk to you, let me tell you, let me support you, let me encourage you, let me instruct you, let me give you guidance. And he's saying, making it critical, because it's in rest where we hear the best, and it's in rest where we can actually demonstrate that we heard by acts of obedience. So here we are in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, and this is what God says about the critical relevance of rest. I'm not going to read all of this chapter. There's, it talks completely, fully about rest. But I'm going to begin in verse 9 in just a minute. All of the previous verses in chapter 4 of Hebrews are reviewing rest that was intended for Israel. Think about this. Joshua was told, now he's taken over from Moses, I want you to enter into this place that I have promised you. I want you to do it in the way that I say because I, you're, you can only enter in by obedience. But that required that Joshua hear from God and that they enter in in obedience to God. They march around Jericho seven times and they watch Jericho fall out of obedience to God. And over and over what they're told is that you're going into a land of promise and everywhere you put your foot is going to be a place of victory. And he assures them of something. You have no ability in and of yourself as my children to conquer that land. You have no ability to take on those enemies. You have no ability to overcome those nations. But I will assure you right now, before we ever go over the Jordan River, as God was speaking to his people through Joshua and speaking to them, he was telling them, I will do everything. If you will simply go over there and rest, actively rest, in obedience, do what I say, I will bring every victory, I will conquer every nation, I will take on every conquest, and every day, at the end of the day, there will be an evidence that I did what you could not do. And he says, enter into that rest. Hebrews 4 reviews what God intended for Israel, but what did Israel do? They rejected. They said no. So here we are in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, and it's simply telling us that there is a rest for the people of God. Verse 9, there remains, therefore, a rest. After all of those things talked about, described about David and of Joshua, there remains for us, the people of God, there remains a rest. So God's plan has never changed. His intention has never been altered. He keeps telling us repeatedly, I want you to be able to rest. As Hosea has told us, as we have heard these testimonies, there's a powerful reality that Jose knows, Danny knows, Shorty knows, Max knows, all of us know that not any one of these men made absolutely any difference in Mexico. It was always God who lived in them. Every evidence of glory, every evidence of change, of this demonstration of salvation, of changed lives, points one place every time it was Jesus. Every time the work of God, every time the reality of the Holy Spirit in these people's lives, every time it's the same story. Because Jose would tell you, anybody would tell you, they didn't do it. It had to be God in them. Because that's the only way that you could tell by these results. Because that's the evidence of God and not just out of men who went to Mexico. Verse 10, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So he's telling us, what does rest look like? It means the cessation, the stopping of work. Again, this is a radical departure 
from what pastors are teaching across the nations about what good Christians are supposed to look like. Because good Christians, according to most pastors, are busy doing all the things that they need to do, bringing honor and glory to God, and God has caused them at the end of this story, he says, all that you've done that came out of your heart and not out of mine is like what? Filthy rags. He says, I want you to cease from your work. I want you to admit right now, I cannot be a Christian. I cannot be a good Christian. I cannot be a faithful Christian. I cannot be a loving Christian. I cannot be kind. I cannot be joyful. I cannot be peaceful. I have nothing within myself. There's no amount of striving. There's no amount of work. There's no accomplishment in anything that I do that can bring those things to my heart. Nothing I can do can bring salvation to me. Nothing I can do can bring peace to my life. Nothing I can do could bring salvation or joy or love or compassion to my life. Nothing of my activity could do any of that. And God's saying, if if you can admit that, acknowledge that, enter into the rest under the truth, under the reality that without the Father, I can do nothing. Boy, I want to tell you it is hard for believers to step into this because after so many years of being trained that we're, we're about doing, we're about accomplishing, we're about outreaching, we're about feeding people, we're about ministry, we're about missions, and all of it perpetuates a doing and a going. And God says no to none of it. I want you to enter into a place of rest so that you can hear my voice. When you hear my voice, you'll know how to obey. When you know how to obey, you'll see the provision that's attached. And at the end of that day, everyone will acknowledge what a great God that God is, how miraculous he is, instead of saying, my goodness, Randy, you've done a good job. What does this look like? It means that our work stops. And then he goes on. He says, he who enters into his rest has himself also ceased from his works. This isn't the idea that that work doesn't need to be done. It's not the idea that there's no longer any place for doing good works. But it does say that the idea is that there's no longer any place for work that that you believe for a second that would bring you your own righteousness. That stops. Cease from his own works as God did from his. God entered in on that seventh day into this Sabbath rest. And just as he did in Genesis 2, 2. Because the work was finished. He could rest. What happened when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He's saying all work that would produce your salvation has now ceased. All work that would produce your favor with God has now ceased because in Jesus, the work was complete. In him, all things were done. His death, his burial, his resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit, a complete work that not only covered our sin, but set us free from the effort that God says is only mine. And then verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter into that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. I find it interesting that he says we have to be diligent to enter into that rest. It is not going to come easily. It's not going to even be natural. It takes diligence to enter into that rest. The rest is there. It's been given. But God does not and will not force it upon you. He will let you remain in your busyness. He will let you remain in your activity. He will let you be, you know, like a whirlwind until you choose that that's not what you want. We must enter that rest. It is something that forms within us. 
It's a quiet place and a steadiness. A place where we can reflect. A place where we can hear. We all have to find it for God to do what he clearly wants to do. It's entered in by faith and by trust. It's where it's built. It creates the atmosphere in which faith can build. Max talking about a while ago about existing and allowing the atmosphere of God to draw the questions. I want to tell you, when we learn to enter into the rest, it will create an atmosphere that allows faith to grow. When we learn to enter into rest, it will create an atmosphere that will allow others to come and ask us questions. When we learn to enter into that rest, it will create an atmosphere that will seem so strange in this world, but will draw others to it. That atmosphere will absolutely look odd. He says, let us therefore, it's, it's, it is us, it's a challenge to us, this is how we activate what God is saying. Be diligent to enter that rest. It's there, but it must be pursued diligently. And then the last verse of that last part, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. If we are not diligent to enter into that rest, the result will be disaster. That's a big statement. It's a bold statement. Let me tell you how serious this is. I don't know the exact numbers. The Christian world probably spends, I would probably have to get into the terms of billions and billions of dollars every year on mission work. Churches deciding, churches planning, organizations thinking, seeing a need, being motivated by the compassion that they feel, activated by gathering the resources and moving into the world in the name of God spreading, sharing, and telling those things about God that are on their heart. What has been the result of, of those billions and billions of dollars? Why is there not a world out there right now that is absolutely in love with God? You would think with those resources, that dedication, that good of planning, that continuous effort, the year after year design of going and telling that you, we would expect that with that kind of investment, we ought to be able to look across the world and see this massive response based on the investment that we have made in the world to tell them about Jesus. And you look across the world and it does not exist. There are some places where there are great moves of God in, in the world. And most of those are the places we can't reach. The places where evangelists can't go. A place where mission work doesn't happen. Because it has to be growing within the people, their faith, their trust, their confidence in God. I can tell you there's been a great deal of business on on the part of the Christian world and it yields no results or very little results because it wasn't done in obedience to God and it wasn't done under His provision. And what is the conclusion now that the world thinks about God? How do they associate in their mind God and why do they refuse him? Because what does God look like in most people's minds? First of all, if they don't know, what's the color of his skin? Based on the effort that's placed, what do they believe God looks like? What do you think? What's the color of his skin? White. What socioeconomic group do they think God comes from? Upper, middle, upper? That would be their conclusion about God. What would they think about him? Well, he comes for a week and then he leaves. How could you expect him to believe anything else? If you don't go in obedience, understanding what God has said, the provision that God has sent, so that you're only releasing what God, the provision God has, then what's going to be left in in people's minds and hearts is the disaster according to the scripture, according to this teaching. We do great damage 
because we didn't enter into the quiet place first, hear the voice of God, understand the obedience of God, find the provision of God in that quiet place, and go in obedience and release what he gave us. Most of what we do is born in our minds, in our hearts, under our provision, and goes under judgment, and we wonder why there's no great response. Because it didn't start, it didn't originate in the quiet place. Because most of us don't even know anything about it. And we're sure not diligent to pursue it. We may fall, even as the children of Israel did in the wilderness, because they didn't hear the voice of God and believe him and trust that every promise he made them was absolutely true. I don't know how to describe, how to make it any more clear. I can tell you that this is one of my struggles. God has to really get my attention. I find these moments kind of strange because most of my quiet moments are when my hands are very busy. When I'm doing things that require no thought, when they're just repetitious, I find myself very often in the busyness of my hands finding a quiet place in my heart. And God startles me when he begins to speak, and I can hear him so clearly because he's telling me things because I have entered into that quiet place. It's not easy to find. And he says, be diligent. Never be satisfied with your life in him without knowing how to quickly get into that quiet place of rest so that you can hear him, so that you can commune with him, so that he can calm you or excite you or bring you passion. Let it originate in the quiet place. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I pray by your ability in the Holy Spirit to bring truth that I just tonight couldn't express. I pray, Lord, that what came out of my mouth would be so altered by the Holy Spirit that it would resonate in people's ears and people's hearts and they would know exactly what I'm trying to say through the words that I have to tell them about this place of rest. Busyness has done great damage. And I pray, Lord, that we would move in the quietness and the calmness of your voice, trusting what we hear when you say it, understanding what you ask us to do in obedience, trusting your provision, and all the time, with all the things being done, that we remain at a place of rest. You've told us to come, even in the weariness of our life, and that you would give us rest. Rest to bring confidence and assurance, because most of us truly need, from that quiet place, to be able to allow you to expand our awareness of you. Because most of us still lack a full ability to hear and to let our hearts expand to receive who you are. It originates in that quiet place. And I pray, Lord, that we would find it easily, quickly, so that we could expand in our understanding, in our access, intimacy with you. Speak it over these people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.